Café Rollist is your caffeinated tabletop RPG break. It started as our exclusive Patreon show, but following a survey with our supporters, I am happy now to share its most recent episode here with you. If you enjoy this show, please consider checking out our archive of a hundred or so additional episodes, which are still exclusive on Patreon. Welcome to another Café Rollist uh, across, across the Atlantic. We had a few of those, and I was just reminiscing with my guest about a time long gone when people could travel across this ocean. James, welcome uh, welcome back in London in some form. Well, hello, heroes, and, and thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, uh, I I dearly miss being able to visit London. Uh, not only are there so many lovely people, but uh, it's nice to just travel. And it's it's wild that we lived in a world where we could do that, and that was normal. Yeah, it's, it's nice. One of my, not exactly my most recent, but one of my... Yeah, last employment was working on the Washington DC subway system and I would travel for work. And now it's like, uh, yeah, there's no, there's no more work anymore, really working on rail stations or flying planes and these sorts of things. The world is, uh, <laughs> is somewhat different. So, so yeah, people need to diversify. Uh, I hope people listening to this, please cross fingers for me this Wednesday, maybe something. Will be happening, but, uh, yeah, job interview. But, uh, yeah, we've got a couple ice breaking questions on Cafe Rollist, uh, which was, is a spin-off born out of COVID. What is your routine like at the moment? Uh, is it impacted by the pandemic? Has it changed or not so much because you, you record podcasts in your basement and, uh, write advice for game masters on a little type machine? Yeah, I mean, so weirdly, I, I feel like I have been more busy since the pandemic started, uh, in, in a sense, because I do work from home most of the time. Uh, my my schedule itself hasn't changed that much. I mean, uh, the One Shot Network does own a studio here in Chicago, and really haven't been able to use that uh, as much, uh, which which has certainly impacted our business. But my schedule itself, you know, suddenly, uh, because... I record with people and a lot of the time they're recording out of their home. Um, I had a bunch of time open up for a lot of my performers. So for things like campaign skyjacks, we just started recording more because, you know, the people I was working with were working less and, and needed, you know, more support. So it's like, well, you know, if we've got the time, let's just record together. Um, and hopefully we can get people a little bit of extra income during all of these wild times. Um, and I, I've had a lot of projects that I've tried to keep going just because, you know, I, I want people to have access to the work and, <clears throat> you know, plenty of charity projects, too. So weirdly, my schedule started to fill up. Everybody talked about like, oh, I'm home with nothing to do. And I'm like, I have more work to do than ever. I, I, <laughs> I can't relate to that. <laughs> it's true. We, we got here uh, Quantum Leopard, which is a, a big uh, independent comedian association. And uh, yeah, the times has been especially tough for improv and comedians uh, and stand-up uh, artists uh, of all times, which I believe now have been 
desperate to find avenues for their craft in uh, TikToks and so on. So I assume it, it was rather convenient for some of them to be already involved with uh, with one shot and campaign. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, like, we, we've been able to help a few people who just do not have access to work otherwise. Like, uh, Ali and Drew Merzieski, uh, who together really run the campaign uh, or the Skyjacks Couriers Call podcast, um, they worked in the theme parks uh, down in Orlando. They, they worked at Disney. They worked at uh, Universal. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, there was no guarantee of any kind of work for them. Um, and the parks kept being like, well, we're going to open up, uh, you know, as soon as we can. And the two of them are sitting there like, well, yeah, you, if you do open up, we're going to be risking our lives and health to, to go to the parks, which doesn't sound appetizing. And even though it wasn't a lot of income, like courier's call was one of the few things that they had going for them at the time. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it was a useful thing. Uh, I, I just wish the network was bigger so that, like, we could actually step in and give people uh, more substantive uh, support in, in times like this. But, you know, we, we do what we can. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's already a, a, a big thing. Uh, it's interesting because you're one of the, the most popular network, or at least it looks like that from the outside, and still we are... We are a little hobby, a little environment, so it's 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 not quite big enough to to sustain a large number of people and so on. Yeah, I, I, in the indie RPG space, like I, I don't want to, you know, do pretend humility and say that one shot isn't doing well. I, I think we are a quite popular thing, but like if you compare uh, the income that we make at one shot to some of the other like large popular shows out there, like. Uh, you know, we're we're no adventure zone. We're yeah. no Dungeons and Daddies. We're no like the Glass Cannon Network. I, I think makes a ludicrous amount. Uh, like there are much larger projects that that pull in a lot more money, but you know, a lot of them are very D and D focused. Uh, in what they do. Um, for like a a more holistic uh indie RPG look at things like. One shot is, you know, a, a large network, but we kind of get by on a shoestring budget with with a smaller audience. Um, and, you know, I, I'm talking about what I love, so I can't complain about that. Uh, the only times where it really uh, affects me is like when I'm looking to do things like give people jobs in, in a time of, of crisis. Uh, and that I don't really have the resources to do yet. So, um your work uh today you you are here to talk about two projects mainly i believe uh the first one is micro rpgs uh which is out and already available i think i've seen pictures of it on the shelves uh what is that about yeah the ultimate micro rpg book is an anthology it's a collection of 40 uh two-page role-playing games um so these are games that, you know, normally uh, you, you'd be seeing in PDFs on the Internet. Uh, they're small and easy to learn and easy to play quickly. And, you know, they can range from like a full on four hour role playing experience to uh, maybe an hour, half an hour of playtime, whatever you're in the mood for. It's got a whole range of genres and, and subjects and, and tones 
depending on what you and your group might be looking for. Uh, I'm publishing it through Adams Media, which is an imprint of Simon and Schuster. Uh, so it is a new role-playing game, basically, that is being distributed through uh, mainstream channels. So we're in like Barnes and Noble bookstores. We're in your local brick and mortar bookstore. It is really anywhere books are sold, uh, you can find a copy of the Ultimate Micro RPG book. Um, and there you get a wonderful cross section of, you know, 40 of some of the most talented uh, designers who are working in the indie scene today. Um, and a lot of them will be names that people are familiar with. Like if people know Grant Howitt, uh, Grant Howitt is, is in that collection. Um, another uh, London based designer, uh, uh, Nathan Blades is in there. Um, but we've also got uh People who have been in the industry for a super long time uh, doing projects that people are uh, very familiar with, like uh, Jason Morningstar is in there. Jason Morningstar did Fiasco um, and uh, Keith Baker, who created Eberron and Illimat and, and so many other wonderful games. Uh, we have just a truly amazing collection. And if you are somebody who wants to branch out and try different games, different play styles, uh, or maybe if you're just getting into RPGs for the first time and you're looking for a, you know, something that's not a 300 page tome of rules, like it is a great place to start. Or if you just want to introduce games uh, to people in your life who have been thinking about it for a long time, this is a great place to start. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's great, you know, uh, when people committed a lot to a single system to have a, a little taste of something else, one-page RPGs are a great thing. And often they, they even can give you ideas of, of things you can do in your, I quote, main game uh, uh, by playing uh, into that. Uh, do you have some you could showcase uh, to get people excited? Uh, some micro-RPG you especially like? I'm not asking for your favorite um, because I assume they're all your babies. Uh, yes, yes, it, it definitely. Um, I, I truly love them all. Um, let's see here. I can pull up uh, if they'll allow screen sharing on this Zoom. Oh, no, um, don't touch that. <laughs> I think it's going to break my OBS if you do that, sadly. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, so uh, then I'll just talk about them. So th there are a, a lot of uh, truly wonderful games here, uh, well, like games from my favorite designers to um, Alex Roberts, who created Starcrossed, uh, did a game in this book based on one of her favorite pieces of media, The Littlest Hobo, which is an extremely low budget Canadian television show oh, wow. about a heroic dog that wanders from town to to town uh writing wrongs and uh you know helping people where they can and in uh, her game hero dog saves town uh you are you are the writer's room yeah, excellent for a tv show about a heroic dog you have to plot and put together like what would be an episode of this tv show the twist is one of the players is playing the producer head writer and star of the show a dog and that player <laughs> will accept or reject people's ideas as a dog 
Um, and at the end of each game, that player fires someone. Uh, so it's <laughs> a really silly, really fun game um, that I, I truly love. And it's kind of like an unexpected thing. Like there are not a lot of tabletop RPGs that deal with subjects like that. Uh, and I just find it so much fun. So it's funny. Uh, I actually recorded for the first time with Alex this weekend. We recorded a film studies about Blade. And, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't wait to edit and release that one. Uh, uh, it inspired us uh, a lot of uh, alternative games. Uh, I hope Alex will will do release some of them <laughs> that could be quite interesting. Uh, are those game exclusives or are they republishing of things? Are there things like uh, Millennial Apartment Hunters or are they all, is it the first time they all release them? Uh, I'm sorry, could you say that again? Your oh, audio sorry. cut out a little bit halfway through uh, that question. Yeah, the, I was asking if all the games in uh, micro RPG are exclusive or if some of them are being republished like i don't know millennial Ap- apartment hunter or other games which would be is it an anthology of games which existed or is it a an anthology of brand new oh. games so so these are mostly brand new games um uh there is a i think one game that that has been republished um by Kenneth Shaw uh and i will be able to pull up that uh, I believe it's with sword heavy in hand, um, but everything else was created specifically for the book. So these are new games that right now you can't get anywhere else. Um, the publisher, uh, Adams Media, really worked with us uh, in sort of adapting to the realities of an indie game environment. So although the these games are published exclusively in the this book right now that is just as everybody involved in the book is going to own their games they have exclusive copyright to their games um after the five-year uh exclusivity period is up they'll be able to republish it wherever they have a different micro book on the shelves but uh it's a situation where uh, normally like a publisher would just have copyright to everything and it would be published in the book and that would be it. Uh, you know, we, we have this wonderful situation where everybody gets to own their work um, and do with their work what they want uh, after that exclusivity is up. Um, so really, really cool collection of games that you are not going to find anywhere else. I haven't listened to one shot for a little. Why were some of those games showcased on the show? You know, as a way... Uh, the, the... Recently, there was some di- more discourse on Twitter regarding how you can discover a game and learn to play it. And I find actual plays are a, a rather interesting way to do so. Although a deceptive one, I must say, some games I purchased after listening to you. And then I was like, hmm, not as good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I can't, uh, I, I can't always guarantee that every game uh, is going to be as good as the way I play it. But uh you know, you, you, you get what you can. Um, I, I, we, we have played a couple of these games on one shot. Uh, we played, um, Break Room, uh, by Ali Merzieski, uh, which is a game, uh, where you are at a workplace and 
the management has told you that somebody is going to get to go home early uh, today and you have you role play different employees trying to vie for the position of being the person who gets to go home. I go home in a positive manner. Uh, then. So it's, it's a very silly game, especially because it's in all sorts of wild settings. Um, there is Lichen Tree, which is about building a family tree for werewolves. Um, and I just recorded, but it hasn't hit one shot yet, uh, A Green Hour, uh, which is by Gian Shim. And that game is about uh, two people who have been put in an arranged marriage by their cultures uh, because they are going to become the gods of their culture and their marriage. They will uh, sort of consummate their marriage and become one God together that will save like a dying planet. Uh, it's a really heady game. It's super wild. Uh, a lot of really cool imagery and uh, just amazing character work that you get to do in that game. Um, that'll be coming out on one shot soon i i don't actually know exactly when it's going up uh we're still working on our schedule right now what did you exactly curate all of that content all those one page game did you have a, a sort of a brief beyond the the constraint of being a single page rpg so uh they they, they are two pages um like it's you know one one side and then another side of a page each of the games can actually tear out of the book because it's perforated um Still one page but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's tech, like from a technical sense um it could be considered one page uh but yeah so when i approached people i did not have um a specific thing for them uh we kind of contacted people in waves for this game um we wanted I, like I, I wanted because this is the first time I had to edit any sort of project like this. Um, I, I wanted to go a little bit at a time and let uh, let the book kind of fill itself out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let the book kind of fill itself out. So in the first like 15 or so submissions that we got, um, I gave people an entirely creative blank check. I was like, this is the book. This is the concept. All you have to do is hit this length. And you can do whatever you want with it. And almost like seven or eight of the games that we got back were about space. Um, so after that point, I was like, hey, you can do whatever you want with this. I still want it to be a creative blank check. Just don't go to space <laughs> because we have enough. We got we covered space. Um, but yeah, uh, like I, I, I really didn't want to do too much overt like creative guidance I, I didn't want to assign specific designers specific genres i kind of wanted to gather like a collection of people that uh both designers that i knew and had worked with before and designers that i had only heard of and, and never personally worked with in the past like i, I wanted to create a cross-section of if somebody was getting into rpgs for the first time like they have no influence before. They've never played Dungeons and Dragons. They've never played Shadowrun or any of the other wildly popular RPG systems. I wanted to give them an idea of this is what RPGs can be. 
you know, I, I didn't want to paint anybody into a particular corner or a particular box. So there are certainly fantasy adventure games in here uh, that will feel a little bit D and D. Um, and there are trad games that, that rely more on their mechanics and about using those mechanics to create your adventure. And then there are a ton of story games in here that are really using kind of meta narrative mechanics to drive at what they want. Um, and that's because I left this entirely in the hands of each of the designers that I worked with for this book. Uh, I, I really wanted them to be leading with their own voice so that somebody could pick up this book, like fall in love with the game and then look up that designer and find more of their work. Amazing. Uh, your next project is sort of, uh, from the one page, or at least two sided one page RPG, uh, which <laughs> is kind of, uh, no prep. You, you throw yourself into the action. Uh, your next book is about world building. And that's, that's, that sounds like you're prepping, you're creating. It's a bit campaign. You create your, this huge world. That's quite a contrast. Um, it's, it's interesting. So for, for the world building guide, um, I am a game master who typically does not prep or does not prep in the way that uh, people, I think, imagine prep. Like, I'm not filling out a, a hex map with, like, potential events or writing extremely long and specific backstories for people and, and, and settings and places and whatnot. Um, I prefer to do everything in a more improvisational way uh, but i also know especially from working on the skyjacks podcast that it is useful to bring something to the table to have some base of ideas to draw on when when you're creating something new um, and i am deeply into this idea that i, I definitely like uh showed up in the ultimate backstory guide of uh personal play the game playing that you do that is away from the table i maintain you know if you're making a character if you're preparing for a session you are still playing a role-playing game uh even even if you're not at a table surrounded by other people you're doing something for that process that's involved in that process and something that you can have a lot of fun with so for uh for this like i wanted to create a book full of activities and and useful advice for people who enjoy the process of creating before they get to the table and for people like me who maybe prefer a more improvisational approach this book is very interactive in the way it helps you create things uh it gives you enough information for you to springboard off of. So you're not like sitting down and, you know, painstakingly filling out a map, just like pulling from your own creative. Well, uh, you are getting like ideas that you can bounce your own ideas off of to build something together, uh, which I, I think is, you know, at least for me, it's, it's a lot more fun. So does that mean that includes advice, which is not things you do uh, right at the beginning and then you play the game and that's it, but things which, okay, what's happening now as we play and as new ideas are coming or as players bring their own idea or do you integrate them in your world building or do you keep that flexible and alive and or do you keep track of things? Are these a sort of aspect of world building which is also covered by the guide? 
So uh, the guide is mostly exercises that are broken down by genre. Um, and each exercise kind of has a specific uh, premise. And it's designed to, if you are doing something, you know, in the horror genre, it, it they're exercises that are designed to provide you with useful bits of world building or useful, like, processes for world building that will help you play confidently in that genre and create, you know, the right mood and the right experience uh, that you want for your table. Um, so, you know, for example, in the horror section, we have, you know, creating a monster and we kind of break down creating a monster like, okay, what sort of themes is your monster representing? Visually, how are those themes represented? What kind of threats does this monster present to the cast? That way, every sort of monster that you pull out of this book is going to be something that has a really particular look to it, has a really particular feel to it, will work differently. Like if you go through that monster exercise, no two people are going to get the same thing. Uh, no two, like even if you do it twice, like you're not going to get the same uh type of monster out of it um and along the way it is kind of breaking down why different specifics work uh in each situation and how you might be able to take advantage of those descriptions when you're at the table to create you know unique pieces of danger and whatnot um all of it is designed to help underscore genre and because like it's not prescriptive you don't go from one exercise uh, through the end of any particular section, you sort of uh, pick and choose as you need, depending on, you know, what you think your game needs you to create or where you want to start and, and build your game around. Uh, you'll be able to use the book as you like, just sort of flipping through exercises and uh, picking out what's going to be useful to you. <laughs> So it reminds me of uh, a discussion we had uh, with Alex and uh, Eric Bernhardt on that Blade episode because they, they were arguing that Vampire the Masquerade was mostly, uh, what they said, I paraphrase, was mostly a game which you don't play. <laughs> but uh, what, they actually, what they actually meant was that it was a game which was um, which you would play mainly in the personal space when you are doing your world building and you create your the background of your character and so on. And it's definitely a, a part of playing, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like it's a huge part of playing. And you know, for some people it is their favorite part of the game. Like I, I definitely know people who their favorite thing is making a new character. They'll make that character and you know, whether or not they bring that character to the table, uh, really doesn't affect their enjoyment so much or you know maybe they want to play the character once but they'll spend like four hours playing the character and then move on to the next one when they spent like 10 hours putting the character together and building it so um it, it is a way for uh, folks like that to access this play space and access it in an interactive way um, and especially if you're a game master who, you know, wants to do something but doesn't feel very confident either because it's your first time working in that genre or your first time game mastering. Uh, it is a way to sort of get guided along through that process and make sure that you hit the notes that you want to hit when you're creating your world. What I find funny with personal gaming like that is that 
I, it's something I miss personally, both as a player and a game master, the, the prep, the living in that world, but ju just in my head in between sessions or even when I'm commuting and something like that, something which I haven't done in a year at least. But, uh, it's something I miss, but it's not something I'm still available for, uh, mentally and the energy. I, I don't feel like I've got the, yeah, the, the headspace and availability to, to do that, uh, anymore. Uh, so, so that's why I find they're still used to smaller, smaller games. Um, something I, I heard about recently, uh, they, they were highlighting in some, some French podcast was how, um, there was kind of a return a bit to uh, random tables, random encounter tables, but not as uh, fully randomized things which were sensitive, but as an alternative to, you know, you would have your splat book about a specific city and each neighborhood would be described and each house could even describe with a collection of non-NPCs. But nowadays, more and more, you would find uh, instead of having a collection of NPCs, you would have a, a good, strong random encounter table not 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 encounter random prompt table but this thing could still enforce very well a tone and teams to a game uh is there something uh which is uh discussed or considered in uh, the world building guide um so like a lot of world building or you know backstory or really any accessory books are random table based uh there are a, a few tables and whatnot in this uh i would cons uh, uh compare this book more to powered by the apocalypse uh exercises and whatnot it is it, it's, it's more narratively channeled uh than, than most random tables uh the, there are plenty of exercises that just have you know, well-considered prompts, uh, but they're usually part of a larger structure uh, trying to break down a, a specific tone or a specific mood to help you in your process uh, building. What I find fascinating also when you work uh, on a project like that, I mean, I've never done something of that scale, like the, the Ultimate RPG Game Master World Building Guide, but I imagine it's a rather introspective exercise as well. You probably learned a lot about what you were doing. Uh, did you, uh, are there, are there things you did not realize about what you do, what you like, uh, which came out of, out of your writing process for this book? Yeah. Um, one of the chapters in the book, uh, is dedicated to a genre that I called X punk. Um, that is, you know, a, a genre that is encompassing things like cyberpunk, steampunk, necropunk, like all of the different types of, of punk play that, that we see all the time in games and, you know, that, that we're seeing a lot in, in genre TV and in media. Um, I've discovered that I have a lot of feelings about uh, the, the proper way to approach it. I, I think... Uh, increasingly in the punk space i see people or not not people like media companies uh presenting the aesthetics of punk without uh what i think are the core themes that really define the genre uh so the exercises in the x-punk section 
are very much about helping you establish a dynamic of people in power, um, people out of power, and people resisting power, and how that can shape a narrative and and shape a culture within a narrative. Um, so I I, I kind of learned like as I was putting uh, these exercises together about how much I, I really do care about presenting uh, a punk stories through a really substantive narrative that has something to say about power dynamics and has something to say about, you know, some, sometimes the sacrifices that you need to make uh, in order to fully like resist uh, power or what a overbearing cultural power does to people who don't fall inside that cultural lens. Like I, I wanted to create exercises that really helped people put that in the foundations of their world. So, you know, as you're, you know, playing orcs with, with Mohawks or, or whatever uh, your punk narrative or your punk world actually looks like you have a core substantive theme so that your game and story are really about something. Even if, you're mostly into the aesthetics, like the substance is still there because it's built into the world at its core. It's ex-punk, like the letter X insert a word, not ex-punk as in your ex-girlfriend or boyfriend. No, yeah, it, it's the X is in the letter X, like like solve for X in algebra. Well, we, we had a variable. We had another film studies about uh, Black Cat, White Cat, which is a Balkan movie. And in there, uh, I... I venture to say that the movie was Roma punk. So uh, that might be something interesting to try to, to create uh, using your guide. Uh, we got Wee Lee um, in the, the chat room was asking, how has doing micro RPGs and one shots changed how you do longer campaigns? Um, I think... I break down the story into smaller segments a lot. Like it, one of the funny things about one shot uh, is that you can see like in real time, my approach to both like short, like one shot play and campaign play. Cause I, I'm now running the campaign skyjacks podcast. Uh, that is my longer game that I get to do. I, I really don't get to do any RPGs that aren't recorded. Um, so in uh, Skyjacks, you are seeing kind of the ways in which all my experience of one shot has shaped uh, my approach to long-term campaigns. Um, I do kind of want like each session to have a beginning, a middle and an end I, I want to make sure that uh, my players get time to explore. Um, a lot of what I'm doing on Skyjacks is providing people with uh, platforms to explore their characters in a specific way. Like uh, in the most recent episodes of Skyjacks, uh, we have these two immortal characters who you know, are carrying around a lot of emotional weight from that. And one of them just had a massive revelation about somebody from his past. And he is as a character is like very closed off specifically as a character choice. He doesn't like to talk to other people and doesn't like to confront his emotions. And he just went through an arc where somebody kind of said, Hey, that's an incredibly unhealthy way to live. And you need to stop that. Um, 
even even getting that advice it's hard for someone to specifically prompt themselves out of that so i sort of charged another character with hey sit down and talk to them and then i just gave them that space you know i want to make sure that there is a block of really interesting content that tells us something about these characters so that when they uh, commit to action later on, that action really means something. So was this something which was discussed with the player himself or themselves uh, that to go in that space, in that space, which their character was unwilling to go to? Um, yeah. So I, I did say before the session, like, Hey, you know, we just had this major character reveal and we don't know how your character feels about it. Um, I, I am going to sort of, you know, put a situation in front where like, yes, it does make sense that normally your character would avoid talking about this like he had been for, for the last recording. Um, but I, because you went through this experience, I also want to, you know, explore that character growth from that by creating a situation where you could sort of break down those walls and, and let yourself do that. So it's like, hey, you know, I, I'm going to have Gable like come to you and, and actually have you tell us, you know, what you're feeling about this. And, you know, Johnny took that in, in stride and uh, like I sort of set up with with gable uh you know i had an npc explain to gable like hey this is the sort of thing that you as as travis's friend going forward need to think about because he's probably not going to do it on his own um and after like i gave gable like that sort of task i left that in liz's hands liz the player uh for how she was going to have gable explore that idea or or bring that uh, to Travis. Um, so, you know, I, I told people like, Hey, this is kind of what I, what I think we should do. And then I set things in motion and let the players decide, you know, between themselves what that would look like and, and, uh, you know, how much they would explore that they went to places that I really didn't expect it to go. I, I <laughs> thought it was going to be like a, uh, emotional debrief about like Travis had just discovered that uh, the, the wife that he thought was dead was actually uh, still alive, had like survived this like terrible tragedy that had happened to them years and years ago. Um, and I thought a lot of that would be about Travis kind of like processing the fact that like, Oh, she was, she's is alive and, and she was around and like, we were so close, but like they sort of strayed immediately into like, existentialism and like going like do i even have free will or is my whole life like kind of written by 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 the fates or higher powers that i can't control and i was like what a fascinating reaction to that that's not what i was expecting to get out of that but it was a really cool character journey and a great conversation for both of these people to have because they have uh both been in situations where they've been at the mercy and under the control of kind of supernatural and overbearing forces. So when you develop stories and characters like that for Skyjacks, are you ever tempted to, I mean, I guess it's a bit fashionable with, with some shows uh, to go into, to have that become a comics, a web comics, uh, a written work, which you consume uh, just as a, 
uh, written, or do you consider that uh, that's it, that the format, which is already awesome, uh, of the the audio story that you listen to? No, I'm I'm definitely open to transmedia uh, properties. Like I would love to make a Skyjacks comic or TV show or whatever. Um, it it really comes down to a matter of of budget and opportunity on those things. Like like I said, one shot is, as as an organization is pretty focused on like protecting uh people that work with us and and helping folks who are or maybe out of work you know uh we don't have a stockpile of cash right now that we can throw into something like a graphic novel uh based on our properties i i would love to do that at some point down the road but uh you know we we need more listeners or more money or both uh preferably in order to get that rolling but i hope that the 20 people we will watch today's video on my youtube channel <laughs> will rush uh, to raise your counter uh talking about opportunities and going back to the ultimate uh, i mean the rpg the ultimate rpg collection uh how did that happen that your your series of advice book ended up uh because i've seen it here in london be before everything closed at waterstone that foils uh, on the head of the gondola you know in, in mainstream big uh retailer distribution how did that happen and uh yeah how what what type of experience what that was that compared to to being i don't know at the complete strategist in uh, in new york or small game shops uh, here in london yeah I, it is uh <laughs> it, it, it's kind of a a wild thing because i am am not the sort of person who would have ever expected to write a book you know um i i have dyslexia i have adhd um i am just not the type of person uh who ever thought of himself as as somebody who would be an author but i was approached by uh rebecca thomas Tar rebecca tar thomas uh who is a editor at adams media which is an imprint of simon and schuster um i was approached a couple of years ago because they were interested in role playing games generally And they're like, you know, we, we are this publisher that uh, tries to find subject matter experts and have them publish a book about their field. And what they wanted was a book of 100 exercises for developing character backstories in role playing games. That's the concept that they brought to me. Oh, that was already And very specific. It is very specific, like, but like that, that kind of their publishing, like the format for a lot of Adams media books is 50 recipes or, <laughs> you know, learn about a hundred crystals or, or, or something like that. Like it is very much a, this is a listicle as a book sort of thing. Um, and when they had originally approached me uh, about this concept, I thought they wanted me to write a couple exercises for this book. I was like, oh yeah, I could, I could probably write three, three or four exercises uh, for character backstory. No problem. That'll be a neat anthology. And I didn't realize that they intended for me to write the entire book <laughs> until I got the contract uh, that was describing my duties for it. Um, and I was, I, I sort of hit this precipice is like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> They've accidentally 
they, they want to hire me to do the whole book. I, I don't know if I can write a, a full book. Um, and I, I kind of expressed that nervousness to, to my editor is like, Hey, I didn't think I would be doing this whole thing. And she was like, I, I'm pretty sure that given your experience that you can, um, especially based on the writing samples that you gave us. So I signed the contract and did it. Um, and the, the thing is like, because Adams media is part of the Simon and Schuster umbrella, like they have access to mainstream distribution channels. Like when we talk about uh, our RPGs generally, like the ultimate micro RPG book is probably one of the best selling RPGs out there right now, like behind Dungeons and Dragons, of course, but I'm not sure how many are ahead of it because of the type of distribution that uh, the micro RPG book is getting because it is part of the Simon and Schuster umbrella. Uh, they put things in bookstores. They put things in bookstores like up towards the front of the store, right? As people walk in and they try and engineer their titles to be something uh, that people can just pick up. Like if you've got a new role-playing system, typically it's kind of a big decision for somebody, whether they're going to buy and learn a brand new RPG unless, you know, they're a maniac like me and they've dedicated their lives to, to just doing that. Uh, it is the sort of thing where like you, you might not just impulse buy a brand new RPG in, in a lot of circumstances, but uh, the guides that they've had me write are things that, you know, if there's somebody in your life who is into RPGs, but you don't know what to get for them, Getting them one of these books isn't going to be bad. It's, it's something that is an accessory to the hobby, no matter what the hobby means to you, really. Um, it's, it's and quite, that's been kind of surreal. It's quite a nice sweet spot indeed, because if you are unaware, I mean, if you're just barely aware of role-playing games, you heard about it somewhere, you can pick that up and run with it. And if you are, I don't know, some, someone's aunt, and you know that uh, your little uh, niece is into role-playing games, you heard, oh, she's into Critical Role or that weird thing I, I barely understand, you can still pick up those guides as a as a gift for Christmas and make your niece very happy because it's it cuts through everyone, uh, experts and uh, newcomers. Yeah, part of what I did because we had this mainstream distribution and like I knew that comparing these books to uh, even very popular RPG releases. Uh, these books are getting an opportunity to be in front of so many more people. Um, and the type of client buying these books, the type of customer who's going to buy these books looks very different from somebody who, you know, goes into a game shop or, or shops exclusively on itch or drive through RPG so I wanted to engineer these books to be kind of a bridge between you're somebody who's into critical role and, but you've never actually played a game yourself before. I, I wanted these books to be something that uh, you could take and actually help you get to that next step of actually playing a, a role-playing game. Uh, the ultimate backstory guide is, one of the things that I think I said in the introduction is like, hey, if you watch Critical Role and you've never played a game before and 
it's too much of a hassle to go out and find a group or, you know, you're nervous to put yourself on that social bridge. The exercises in those books are still role playing. They yeah. are giving you prompts to think about a character and explore your own creativity. Uh, that is the role playing process. So if you enjoy doing what's in that book, you know that it's going to be worth it to take that next step because you're going to enjoy that game. Like I cannot tell you how many people I have encountered uh, who listen to critical role or watch critical role, but have never actually picked up dice to, to play a game themselves. And so I, I wanted it to be a book that would help people like that get more into the hobby or, or test the waters to see if this is a hobby they wanted to get into. Um, the micro RPG book is, is a similar thing. It is, these are role-playing games. These will help you uh, sit down and, and start playing games, but the barrier to entry is very low. You just had to read two pages worth of content to understand how to play. Um, and, you know, you can take that and that can be a gateway experience to dozens of other activities. And if you like the game you're playing, hey, guess what? That designer has done other work that you can locate and enjoy. Um, so like a lot of how I approach these books is because it's mainstream stuff and because of the way, you know, my, my wonderful publisher has uh, been able to promote them. Uh, it's just providing people with extra tools and opportunities to find this hobby and, and get into it. I find it fascinating. The, you know, the, the, the system behind it, the, the publisher, the probably, you know, did some research. Okay. What's going to be the all next thing? So we're going to do one about, uh, I don't know, baking because a uh, great British bake off is uh, popular right now. Oh, what's, what's next? Oh, role playing game. And when, then we do this and then they, they find you and then they got an infrastructure and a process to, to cut costs and put it in the end of, of consumers. So all of that is fascinating, but. At the end of the day, you it's like the fourth or fifth one you're making. So the infrastructure or not, they did find an audience which seems very enthusiastic towards that because you keep you keep being asked to write more of those. That's very encouraging. Yeah, I mean the the ultimate um my, or the ultimate character backstory guide that the the first one in the series is closing in on fifth thousand sales now like it is a pretty successful book like again if you compare it to most role-playing games it, it has outsold the runs of, of many games that uh inspired it <laughs> it's it's interesting how as a hobby we are still you know what you said about fans of critical role my shocked a lot of uh younger and older players that, oh, what, they watch Critical Role, but they don't actually play? But that's the case of so many hobbies. You know, nobody's shocked about that regarding uh, race car driving or playing soccer or football or basketball. So many people consume it just as viewer, and it's considered absolutely fine. So it's funny that we're only learning now as a hobby that, yeah, you know, it's fine. You can be into eSports and not actually play Street Fighter that much and you, you can watch Critical Role and not play it. You Maybe you're missing out a bit, but but still you're part of the hobby and uh, that's great. Yeah, I, I truly, truly love... 
I truly love the way that uh, actual play has kind of completely changed the market uh, for, for role-playing games. Like it is possible to find this hobby without first playing the game, which I, I got, I read, I can't remember. I think it might've been of Dyson men by David Ewalt, but he described the, the previous methodology for, the spread of this hobby was the uncle method, which is <laughs> you had an uncle who taught you how to play D and D, you know, kind of by accident or whatever. And that's how you found RPGs. Um, th- this is uh, a completely different approach to, to how people can find the hobby because all you need to do to start getting interested in role-playing games is, have a friend who is into something like Critical Role or the Adventure Zone or One Shot, knock on wood, uh, where they tell you like, hey, t- take an hour, take a couple hours of your time and listen to this thing that I really love or, or watch this thing that I really love. And if that gels with you, like there's this cool hobby behind it. Um, you know, it is really proliferated in, in a very cool way, the, the ways in which people can find this and lowered so many barriers to entry because like there are so many times in my life where if you had said, Hey, we're going to do this social activity where you know, you're, you're playing pretend with strangers and it's going to take four hours or whatever. (laughs) I would have said, that sounds like a lot of fucking work. I think, (laughs) Oh, I don't know if I could swear. Uh, I I think I'm just going to sit here and play video games instead, actually, or read my comics or whatever. Um, It it would have been easy for me to dismiss the overtly social aspects uh, of this, especially because I wouldn't know that I was going to be into all of the cool storytelling stuff that's involved. Um, So I, I, I think it's just great that there are different ways for people to find this. Yeah, and you know... Uh, people could have a bingo card with my shows because there are things I keep repeating. But when when I started role playing game, I was in the opposite situation. I got a role playing game book, the Star Wars D six book, and I didn't know what was a role playing game, and I was desperate to find out how you played it, and then to find people mm-hmm. to play it. And it was hopefully difficult. So even if you are proactive towards that before actual play and the internet in general. That was a lot of work and energy to try to find two or three people uh, to have a, a game running and uh, have everyone on board and try to explain what it is. My, what I tell people is that the best way to sort of teach role-playing games is probably you, you run a game for two or three players and among the players you get someone who's like a seasoned players. But you need a, a specific kind of seasoned players who can show all things are done and at the same time shares the spotlight with the others. Because starting from scratch, uh, on most games, at least, at least, it's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of effort. And, uh, if everybody's struggling at the same time, uh, everybody's dragging themselves, each other. So it's, it's really, really tough. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it is so, there are so many exit ramps for, for this hobby. If like things don't go well or, or easy in the beginning. So, Anything else that that can show people that oh no this is something that that they might be interested in is a valuable resource and and when I was creating these books that's what I was trying to do with them is is create something 
that could be the gateway to so much more or even provide people who are like only a little bit into things like a new type of experience uh, that might uh, pull them in deeper. Cause like I, I loved playing D and D in college. Like when I, I was first introduced to role-playing through D and D 3.5 um, and I loved it. But when I started playing other role-playing games, I realized how much I, I loved just role-playing in general and what, possibilities there were in the world uh like it it moved from something that i i really enjoyed to my favorite thing um and that that's because i had the opportunity to learn new things and, and get introduced to other styles of play yeah i, I i'm gonna make a, a plug for my own work uh because i think it, it relates uh, Something I found out about a couple of years ago, which I find fascinating is we are developing this culture of actual play through audio and podcast and uh, video also. But uh, I found out about tabletop role playing or table talk role playing in Japan. And there they had this culture of actual play for much longer because they had it in written form. So people yeah. were reading transcripts of games. And actually, most games were formatted in a way in which you would have the transcript, you read the transcript during your commute, and if you like the transcript, then you can read the rules and play it yourself. Otherwise, you throw away the book because it's printed on cheap paper. But the idea that even even in written form, it's actually interesting to see how a game goes and it's inspiring for you to play uh, as well uh, afterwards, which... You know, old books used to have those sections in books. You have a little box in the corner and saying, and here's an example. Bob is creating his character. He's a smuggler. But it's not a, an ongoing story which you read like, like a novel. So it's fascinating to see how other countries and cultures uh, were into that a little bit sooner than uh, than we were. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the, the replay is fascinating. Like Like that culture in japan that that sparked that because it's something that i can't really see happening here in the u.s like thank goodness that we we stumbled across podcasts and like streams or or, or youtube videos um because it, it is such a great way to like expand the hobby um and it's also a great way to understand games and uh when we started understanding how how replays worked here in the u.s as, as a design culture like I, I remember in Metatopia finding out about how people had adapted that concept to their work, uh, like uh, Questlandia um, uh, by Make Big Things. Like they had really engineered their role playing game to have the replay on one side and and the game text on the other, so that you could understand the game uh, along with with a play session of it while you were learning the rules. Uh, just. Such a such a cool thing that I'm glad managed to catch on in some small way here. Well, my project Paris Gondo, the life-saving magic of inventoring, is uh, following that format, so it's front-ended with a with a replay. So we'll see uh, if uh, if it's popular. If people enjoy reading it, I certainly do hope so. Uh, we are close to the one-hour mark. Uh, is there anything else you wish to to talk about? Um, well, uh, you know, I, I'll say to people in general that uh, if you enjoy uh, anything that, that we've talked about here, if it, that's intrigued you, you can find all of my books wherever books are sold. Um, 
just search for James D'Amato, uh, you know, on your favorite online retailer, uh, or look for the ultimate RPG guides, uh, in, in your favorite, uh, brick and mortar bookstore. Um, uh, I, I, especially if you are supporting an independent bookshop, uh, that warms my heart. Uh, also hopefully, uh, it, it should be in your local library. And if it's not, uh, you can request to have my books in your local library. Uh, I, I love libraries and I love people, uh, finding my work there because, uh, I think it just makes it so much more accessible. Also, if, uh, you like my podcasts on one shot, we explore different role playing games. Uh, we, we try to experience as many games and, and systems as possible telling a long form, uh, narrative story through a role playing game through, uh, fantasy fights, Genesis RPG and, it is I, one of my favorite things that I've ever done. I, I truly love the work that we're going, uh, that we're doing over there. If you like actual plays at all, uh, I highly recommend checking it out because I, I think the cast that I'm working with is incredible and what we're building together is, is really worth listening to. It is, yeah, definitely. And, uh, people, you can find links to all of that in the description of this episode. And if you're purchasing a digital copy on the, the most popular platforms, I probably added a little tag. So I've got a little affiliate uh, support for my mm. own work. And I, I will definitely contact the Bermondsey Blue here in Southwark London uh, library to see if uh, they have got copies of the uh, Ultimate RPG Guide collections. Thank you so much, uh, James. Uh, best wishes of success with micro RPGs and... The Ultimate RPG Game Masters World Building Guide. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to interact with you. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I had such a good time. And thanks to everybody in the chat for hanging out. Yeah, thanks, Willie. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Our logo is designed by Roland Kunz. Our theme song is Playtime by Jazar, which you can download on the free music archive. A video version of this episode is available on YouTube. Please consider subscribing to our channel there. Leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. If you would like more Café Rollist, you can also get access to our archive of 100 or so additional episodes via Patreon. If you want to be informed of everything released by the Rollist, we have a monthly newsletter for you to join. And if you want to contribute via the chat room to one of our recordings, subscribe to our Twitch channel and social media accounts to be informed of when streams are happening. Finally, links to everything I just mentioned can be found in the description of this episode. Thanks for listening to us and remember, you are the Realist. <laughs>